Welcome to Walking in Faith, a weekly podcast dedicated to examining the Bible to help lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God expand their faith and understanding by exploring God's Word. Now let's join Pastor Rob Harrington as he shares this week's message. And just like that, it's time for the message. I'm still trying to get used to the schedule. You know, I, I usually have a lot more time to kind of just prepare my mind and heart, you know, to get ready to preach. It's like, well, you're, you're, you're there. And so, but I appreciate everyone's flexibility as we just kind of work our way through this and figure it out together. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Luke chapter 4. We're going to look at three verses this morning, 38 through 41. Or I guess that's four verses. Luke 30, 38 through 41, I want to thank you for once again for being here and joining us as we continue our journey through Luke's gospel. As we look at Jesus' authority over sickness. Interruptions. We spoke about interruptions last week. You remember that? Again, if you haven't heard that message, I would again, I would uh, share with you to, or please to go to Facebook or to our uh, website or to YouTube. You can find us under there. But we spoke of interruptions last week. No one likes interruptions. They never come at the right time, hence why we call them interruptions. Uh, they are time-consuming. They're aggravating, especially when they come during our quiet time. You know, that downtime, that hour time. Don't you like that? You get off work, you just, you just want that time for yourself. You know, imagine this. It's been a very busy but productive and successful day. You've had some resistance and some difficulty, but things weren't too bad, or maybe they're just about even. You, you go home, you get ready, you sit down at your chair or go wherever you want to go. You're going to sit down maybe with a cup of iced uh, tea, or you're going to watch some TV, maybe read a book. Those are things that have words in them, you open them up. And uh, maybe it's just to sit and take a quick nap, or maybe you're wanting to go to do a little project. Until all of a sudden you hear that word, honey... Or dad, those interruptions. And all they want is just one small favor. So you get up and you do that favor and you finally sit back down and it's like, take that deep breath and now it's my time. All of a sudden you hear a commotion going on outside and a, you know, a knock at the door. Once again, you get out of your chair or wherever you're at, you go and open that door and it looks like the whole neighborhood is there wanting a favor from you, wanting something from you. You've ever had days like that? Any of you? You know, it's just like nothing is going right. One thing after another. It seems like everybody wants something and you're the only one that can give them what they need. Well, last week, Jesus demonstrated his authority through his teaching and delivering a man from a demon oppression. And this authority left the people in astonishment and amazement over his power. And it led them to spread uh, the good news of Jesus' ministry throughout that area of Galilee. Capernaum is the center. And we closed last week by considering the importance of beholding the authority, the power, and the compassion, and the majesty of Jesus' earthly ministry. And, and that was to kick off what we're about to do as we go through the summer, continuing look, looking and beholding the beauty of who Jesus is and what he did during those three years. Now this week, Luke immediately follows uh, uh, Jesus as he leaves that synagogue uh, narrative and event that we saw last week. And he goes to visit Simon's house for lunch. It's been a busy day. 
He's just going to go back and relax with some friends. But then he finds out that he has a long night of ministering to those in need instead. So with that, Father, we ask for your wisdom as we just go through your scripture. Help us to listen. Lord, I pray that we would just glorify you by paying attention to your word. Lord, I pray that we would be able to understand it and apply it. Lord, as we would respond uh, in such a way that would glorify you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I want to give you three observations as we go through. We'll do it a little bit different today. The first observation is we're going to see that Jesus has power over sickness. Last week we saw that he had power. He was able to rebuke a demon. This week we're going to see he has power over sickness. Look at verses 38 and 39 in Luke chapter 4. Hopefully you have your Bibles. Again, always encourage you to bring them. And he arose and left the synagogue, Luke writes. And he entered Simon's house. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Both Luke and Mark in their Gospels, they point out that immediately after Jesus visits the synagogue, that he heads over to Simon's house for a meal. Uh, that's something that many of us uh, did at one time. Hopefully we can get back to that soon. Is, is that's just something you do. After church, you would go and you'd have a meal with someone. Simon, as you would also know, is known as Peter. He will become one of the disciples of Christ. Though at this time, he has not yet been called to follow Jesus as one of his disciples. We'll see that's going to happen in the next chapter. Peter had been a disciple of John the Baptist and it had been introduced to Jesus by his brother, by Peter's brother, Andrew, after John the Baptist had declared of Jesus, behold, the Lamb of God. We read of their first meeting uh, in John chapter 1. As you look at verse 40, you don't have to turn there. But it says, one of the two who heard John speaking of John the Baptist speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, Hey, we found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he is brought, and he brought Peter to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. So here we are a year later from that initial meeting. He is now in Peter's hometown. And after search, church, he's going to synagogue. He's going now going to go to Simon Peter's uh, uh, house uh, for a meal. That he, it's a house that he shared with Andrew and their extended family, which is normal at that time. It's not just Simon Peter, but his whole family, extended family, seems to live there. And it is here that Jesus is asked to heal the mother or heal the mother of Peter's wife, who is extremely ill from a high fever. Now, I want to give you a, a side note, and I'm not here to just to bash anyone here, but contrary to some beliefs, Mary, Peter was married. Three of the Gospels uh, depict Peter's mother-in-law's healing. And even the Apostle Paul mentions Peter and his wife in 1 Corinthians 9, 5, when he says, do we not have the right to take along a believing wife? as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas. He points out, hey, Peter had a wife. So contrary to many beliefs, I'm not sure. I've never looked that up. Uh, maybe some of you who have grown up in those types of uh, traditions could share with me why Peter was not married or how they interpret that verse. But Peter was married. 
Well, Luke describes her healing as easy as one, two, three. As Jesus went to her, took her hand, lifted her up. Now, as you look at this passage, there is no long prayer recorded. There is no request for planting a faith seed. There's no magical words or an incantation given. Amazingly, her healing was instantaneous and complete as she immediately began to serve those in the house. I mean, she, gave, she, she got up and began to cook a meal for them. Luke, as we know, was a physician by trade. And it is his record of these events that we read of the severity of her illness. He writes that she had a high fever that was most likely due to an infection. And though Luke does not tell us how long she had suffered from this infection or this fever, it must have been some, from some time, for some time since they asked Jesus for relief. This is not someone who just has a little bit of a fever and they say, hey, Jesus, why don't you just rebuke it? He's giving us here a sense that she is very, very ill. Luke points out that it was the family that appealed to Jesus. It was not the woman. She was in no condition to do so. Her healing is not based on her faith, but the appeal, the request from those who know Jesus and whom he knows. This could be, and she was probably no condition to do so. But look at you, look at this passage. Jesus simply rebukes the fever, just as he did to the demon from earlier in the day. And immediately she is cured immediately she is cured. Now, this should not lead some which has been found even in this church and assembly some time ago, that every sickness has a demon or that there's a demon behind every sickness. And so what you need to do is if you're sick, you just need to find out the name of that demon and rebuke it. That's not what he's sharing here. But he's sharing here that Jesus is able to heal with just a word. Go. And she's immediately cured. There's no recovery time. As Luke writes, she begins to serve them a meal as if nothing was wrong. This is amazing. I don't know, you, you, many of us have been sick. Uh, a lot of us were sick in December, January, and parts of February. And you know, as you go through a sickness, it takes a long time to recover, right? And even when you're feeling bad, it's not like you're ready to just get right back to your regular routine. But what he's given us a gist of is this woman has a severe infection, this, this high fever. And just as he says, be well, she gets up and has the energy and the strength to begin preparing a meal for all of these people that are, at her, that are at her house. Now, here's a side note. And I think this is so important. Hospitality and gratitude is her response to Jesus' healing. What does she do immediately? She does what, what, a, what a mother-in-law would do. You know, what an elderly woman would do or many would do. They, they want to make you a meal. They want to serve. And I think this is one of the things that we talked about. Maybe was it two years ago in our in a staff meeting or in our church? We really wanted to make hospitality a, a, a big part of our church life. And you guys responded to that so well and things were going well. And of course, now things have now just kind of gone awry with that, right? It, 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 hospitality is not something that they are encouraging us to do. But I want to share with you, as things are opening up and as people are becoming more comfortable, we need to get back to the ministry of hospitality. Uh, even if it's to the point of saying, hey, come into our front lawn. That's what we did. We put up a little pop, 
pop up at our front lawn. And if people want to come and if they're comfortable, we just sit around there. And now it's in the back. And, it, and we just did this past week at, at one of the members' houses. We just get together outside where it's a little bit. And then eventually maybe we'll be more comfortable getting into the restaurants and into each other's homes. But hospitality has to be part and parcel of the Christian life. You will see this very much in Luke. Luke is pretty much just one dinner after another. It's going to be in our face. And here's the importance, I believe, because much ministry happens with hospitality. And so there are some of you, as you look around, even in this small community, that you have never had one of these people over at your house or been to theirs. Or maybe even just say, well, let's just meet somewhere neutral for the first time. I would encourage you, if there's someone in our assembly that you have not yet broken bread with, let's do that and let's do it quickly. Because this is part and parcel of the Christian life. Much ministry happens as we do life together, as we invite each other into our lives. Said enough? We got it? So let's begin doing that now as things are opening up. Is it's a risk worth taking. And so be involved. Now, don't be one of those people that just waits for everyone else to invite you. Be involved yourself. And it doesn't always have to involve a meal. It can just involve, hey, let's just come and visit. Let's do a play date, something of that nature. Have children, because if you're having a play date as adults, that's just kind of weird. Uh, but you know what I'm trying to say here. But much ministry happens, much discipleship. Probably the sweetest times I've had is just when the men get together around a fire and we just talk scripture and life. And I know so many of the ladies have done that, our small groups, so on and so forth. So hospitality and gratitude is her response. And much ministry happens through hospitality. So we see Jesus has power and authority over sickness and illness. doesn't matter its degree. He has it. And he's able to do it with just a word. Now, once again, and the second thing I want, we want to see there, and as we look at verse 40, is that Luke now doubles down and shows that Jesus has power over all diseases, not just sickness, just not just a variety, uh, you know, garden variety, uh, fever or infection, but he can heal all types of, of, of diseases. Look at verse 40. Now, when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him and laid his hands on every one of them and healed. That scenario I gave you early in the opening where all of a sudden you just hear a commotion outside and there's the whole neighborhood waiting for you to do them a favor. This is Jesus. Luke informs us that it was after the Sabbath. That's important. The sun was setting. That's after the Sabbath when it's just sundown. So now it was religiously legal for people to bring the sick for healing. Right again there, though it's not a, a big portion of it, you see that work righteousness of the Jewish law. There was nothing that would prevent them from coming uh, through Moses' law for healing when, the, when it was during the Sabbath. But these are the works righteousness that they put in. So they waited till sundown. And they begin to congregate around Peter's home. The word had spread that Jesus is here and he's done miracles. And obviously this has been a year into Jesus' ministry. So many have heard all the things that he's done. In Mark's gospel, he describes the scene as if the doors were bursting out of the scenes with those who were bringing needy people to Jesus. The amazement of Jesus' teaching and miracles are spreading through the whole city. 
And now everyone wants to meet the one who can heal. They're bringing their hopes and aspirations with those that are sick. The eyewitness reports of this day testify that Jesus healed people with various diseases. This account serves to prove the healing of Peter's mother-in-law was no fluke. It shows his power and authority over all sickness and diseases. He doesn't give us a list of all that was there that day. He just says it's a various. So you can imagine it was anything that was an ailment of those days. Those things that people suffered through. Capernaum was a city in need it seems. Many were crowding around Peter's home seeking healing, a release from their suffering and pain. Luke records that Jesus healed all who came that night, turning no one away, no matter their diagnosis, no matter the longevity of their suffering, no matter the severity of their condition, Jesus healed each and every one. But I think there's much more there when you look Luke also records that everyone is healed there. Think about that for a moment. Jesus is going to Peter's house for a meal, for some R&R. Yet once again, he's interrupted with people in need. And Jesus turns no one away. Not only that, he takes the time to heal them by laying on of hands. Look at that. And all those that brought to him, he laid his hands on whom? Every one of them. Jesus had already demonstrated his power to heal by just speaking a word. But what we see here is that Jesus still takes the time to touch each and every one of them. Now we'll look at this a little bit later, but it suffices to say that this here is a big deal in my version, in my, in my view. That Jesus takes the time to heal each and every one. There is no general word of healing. There is no mass prayer or mass healing. Jesus could have said, all of you are healed. Now go home to your own homes and let me at peace. But he didn't. What we're getting here is a picture of each person coming. Now, we don't know if Jesus stepped out or if they came in, but Jesus took the time to touch and heal each person. Each person that came to Jesus with whatever ailment it was, Jesus knew them. Jesus had created them. He had spoke them into existence. Psalms tells us that he had written their DNA, their genetic code, each and every one was fashioned by his hand. He knows what their issue is. And yet as each one comes, now imagine this is a, this probably isn't very good to do, but imagine, you know, that, that department store Santa Claus, you know, one kid, what do you want? Okay. Yeah. One kid, what do you know? You know, he's playing a part. He's playing a role. He doesn't know that child. He doesn't know what that child wants unless he tells them. He doesn't know what that child's need or the parent is. But as each one comes, Jesus looks at each and every one of them. And he does not see their blindness or their lameness. He doesn't see their deafness. He doesn't see maybe the leopard. He doesn't see the one who is hurting as just their hurts. See, we live in a day and age, I'm going to get myself in trouble. Okay, we'll do this quickly because next week I might hit it. And that gives us just in time to see if you want to keep me here. 
But so many times we want to live out our identity. And so people see each other by their identity, by what they want to label themselves as themselves as. And now you have to remember in those days, many people equated a sickness or an illness, and especially a disease that was debilitating or from something from, from birth as a, as a punishment for sin. And sometimes it was. But look at here, Jesus is coming to each one and looks at them and makes eye contact. And he takes the time after a busy day at sundown and touches them and heals them. Maybe in calling them by name. Maybe giving them a word of encouragement. Now you may think, well, that's not much. Well, you can't even do that with your own children when you come home from work and they come after you and they want to talk to you. You can't even look your wife in the eye and you're listening with just one ear. Now husbands, before you say, wait a second, wives... You do the same thing. We all do that. But Jesus is taking the time to look at each one, knowing who they are, and he heals them. Each and every one. The outcast, the blind, the oppressed. This demonstrates that the source of healing was found in Jesus himself as he touched and looked and met the need of each and every person there. He doesn't schedule an event. He doesn't sell tickets. He doesn't employ a band. He doesn't display a light show and preach a flashing sermon with an appeal for them to plant a faith of seed, a seed of faith, a faith seed. No, he takes the time personally to reach out and touch each person, looking them in the eye and healing them from their various diseases, that which was causing them pain and suffering and maybe even uh, um, separation from their family and friends in some of those cases. As you read in our call to worship earlier, this is the Lord, the Messiah, the one who heals all of our diseases. Pastor Thabiti out of uh, D.C. comments on this in his commentary. He goes, I often wonder why people who claim to have healing powers and gifts do not simply go to the hospitals and heal the sick. Why must they rent stadiums, sell tickets, and have cameras filming them? There's something demonic about that. If you have the ability to heal, but you use it as a means of building a name for yourselves or lining your pockets with money, then you are not doing the Lord's work. <clears throat> when Jesus heals, there is no fakery. Satan always has, has counterfeits, but Jesus is the real deal. He is the Son of God, the King of Kings, and He has authority in His teaching, authority over demons, and authority over physical existence. If you yourself have been caught in some of the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel, the message, then I encourage you to read the book Defining Deception or, or uh, the other book by Costi Greeds. I, I can't remember it. If you want a copy, let me know. But there is so much just fakery and just false gospel that use healing as their sense of bringing people in. But this is not Jesus. Thirdly, the third observation is Jesus has power over the demons, the supernatural. We saw all that last week, but we see a little bit more as it comes to the evening. Look at verse 41. 
And the demons also came out of many crying. You are the son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. Here they are, people is coming. Again, we saw that last week the demons would possess someone and they, they, they would dress him up and take him to church. And now they're bringing him over to see Jesus. What are they thinking during this time? Once again, the demons try to hide within the community through possessing human flesh. However, Jesus' presence... And his power exposes their identities. The only creatures who would have not been happy with Jesus' performance that evening would have been the demons that were cast out. They found that staying in Capernaum was no longer an option as Jesus repelled them and refused to let them get a word in edgewise. Now, I've always questioned this portion of scripture. If a demon cries out, you are the son of God, is that a true fact or a false statement? It's a true statement, is it not? Jesus is the Son of God. Luke has been setting down the framework of that from the beginning of chapter 1, verse 1. Jesus is the Son of God. So why would he not want them to shout his name and his identity to everyone? Well, one, I believe the reason is, is that Jesus was not yet ready to have his true identity revealed. As many people over the, over the course of his ministry, they would, they would take his miracles and then they would, for selfish reason, want to use Jesus to further their selfish aims. But it also seems that Jesus was kind of picky about who he would let testify on his behalf. Jesus was not going to allow some demons to proclaim who he was. And you, this may make sense as we get into it. And the Pharisees begin to, to uh, question Jesus and accuse Jesus that he healed demons by how? Or he repelled demons and cast out demons by what? By being a demon. So he was not going to let the, their words. And it's kind of interesting. If you go to Acts 16, you'll see the same thing. As a young girl who was possessed by a demon was used by, by other men for, their, for, for profit. She would walk behind them and says uh, to Paul, and I think it was Barnabas at the time, here, these are, the, these are servants of the Most High God. These are servants of the Most High God. Now, I don't know about you, but that might be good if I'm walking around and I got somebody telling people that. It might be a little bit embarrassing. But Peter, frustrated and angry, finally turns and says, in the name of Jesus Christ, I rebuke you, come out. And he did. Why did they do that? Why? Because they don't, want the, they don't want the unclean speaking the name of Christ. That's not the testimony that they desired. So as you come there, we see that Jesus has uh, authority over sickness, over illness. But he also has uh, authority over all diseases and power and authority over all the supernatural. Now as we come to this and we come to understand, I, I believe there's three things that we can come to know about, about God, about Jesus here about the Trinity. These three things are, I'm going to give you very quickly. First is God is a God who heals. Amen? We need to remember that. We must be reminded that sickness is part of the curse. So sickness and diseases is going to be with us in this earth, this side of heaven. Sickness is part of the curse and Jesus came to pay the penalty of that curse for us. In Isaiah 53, 4, the prophet writes to the Messiah, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. God is a God who desires to heal and to bring comfort to his children. He is a God who has compassion on his children and on his people. 
for most of us, this is a needed word today. You may be sitting here or watching or listening to this message and you are in desperate need of healing. Your suffering is immense and you sense no relief, no comfort. Maybe you have cried out to God himself and appealed to Christ for healing, but to no avail. It seems if he's silent. You wonder if God hears. You wonder if God cares if he heals today. You may even begin this morning to doubt his word, his character, and his love. I'm sure you please do not lose hope. Yes, God does heal even today. But he has not promised full healing in this world. Many times his answers to our plea, pleas for healing is my grace is sufficient for you. For some of us, that cross that we're bearing, that physical pain, that mental anguish, maybe the difficulties that we have in life is what we must bear in this world. He may not heal. He may call you to endure it. Now, this does not mean that we give up on God or that we quit praying. But I think what is neat is that you and I need to change our prayers. Now, I think that we should pray for relief and for comfort and for healing. But in addition to that, we must pray according to your will. Let it be done. What you and I need to pray for, you've heard me say this before, is for grace and faith. You and I need to pray for more grace to endure present suffering as the Apostle Paul writes in Romans 8 verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, of this life that I'm living now, is not worth comparing with the glory that is revealed to us. You see, the problem is you and I get this myopic vision See, all we see is ourself, our suffering, our struggle. Hence why we see this identity politics today. Your value is based now on your identity. And let me tell you, that is a false gospel. And you and I must reject it at all, at all times. For it will enslave you. It will keep you from loving one another as God has called us to. And so as we look at this, you and I must understand that many times we see life through our pain and through our suffering. And yes, it is difficult. Some of you are going through things that I cannot comprehend and never have experienced. But yet we must realize is that we're to seek the things that are above in heaven. So now you're looking and saying, wait a second, you don't know the husband I have or the wife I have. You don't know my children, my, my coworkers. You don't know the pain that I'm suffering. God says that this is to remind you of the glory that waits. One day your husband will be perfect. One day your wife will be perfect. Quit expecting it now. For you are not. You and I need to realize that the life that we live now, it's pain, it's suffering, the curse, only makes heaven sweeter. And it should be directing our hearts to that wonder, wondrous, glorious truth. So you and I must pray for grace to endure until that wonderful day. And then you and I need to 
pray for more faith, to, to, trust our, to trust that our suffering serves the purposes of God. One broken clock preacher said that, that God will not waste your hurts. And I believe he's right in that, in that endeavor. Your suffering serves the purposes for God. It glorifies, your, it glorifies God. But listen to this. Your suffering, your pain, listen to this, is actually for your good. Now that just blows my mind. How in the world is my pain, my suffering for my good? Because it directs you to Christ. And that's what you find here. These people are directed towards Jesus Christ and the healing they, find, they found in Him. The same way your healing is found in Christ. For some, healing will only come in the new heaven and the new earth. As He promised in Revelation 21.4, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. God is a God who heals. But that healing is not promised in this temporal world. So we must pray for healing, but for grace and faith to endure. But also what we see from this passage is that God is a God of justice. The thing is I continually see here is these demons who are making people's lives a living hell. Now we don't see it necessarily in this passage, but we'll see in other passages where the, these demons would just uh, oppress these people and make their lives uh, 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 unmanageable. Throwing them in the fire, cutting themselves, you know, the gnashing on themselves, just terrible, terrible things. Wayne Grumman writes that demons are angels who sin against God and who continually work evil in the world. And so I ask, well, why are they even allowed into this world? Why are, why are they allowed into our realm? Why are they giving any power at all? The Apostle John informs us that the reason the Son of God appeared, Jesus, was to destroy the works of the devil. And as we've seen in the story of Job, even Satan and demons must submit to the power of God. They have already been judged. So this is what we have to understand. Is that they have already been judged. As Jesus says that the lake of fire, the eternal fire, has been prepared for the devil and his angels. So as we see here, as they are being cast out, they are being judged. God is a God of justice. And one day, they too will find their fitting end. John MacArthur says that the supernatural power and cosmic authority of Jesus is displayed as proof of his identity or his deity. It is unmistakable. If he is to be the savior of the world, he has to be able to rescue souls from Satan. He has to be able to rescue souls from sin. If he is going to raise men and women in resurrection form into the glories of heaven, speaking in our new bodies... He must have the power over the effects of the curse on the body. That is to say, he must have power over the physical and spiritual effects of the curse, which you and I all un are all under and suffer even to this day. We all understand that when Adam sinned, the whole human race, he writes, fell. We were all cursed. We all bear the marks of that curse, both spiritually and physically. The Savior of the world has to rescue us 
from the effects of the curse in the spiritual realm as well as in the physical realm. And here Jesus is demonstrating not only his authority over sickness and supernatural, but he's serving as a God of justice. As it is under the curse, as we are under the curse, it too will be held to account. Thirdly, as we look at this, where is Jesus getting his authority? We've been looking at this. Where does he get that authority? That authority comes from his work on the cross. Jesus' authority comes from his work on the cross. The prophet Isaiah writes, Surely, speaking of the, of the Messiah, he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him strict, uh, stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him, upon, upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. Again, one pastor writes that Christ bore both the guilt and that curse of sin. Both physical healing and ultimate victory over death are guaranteed by Christ's atoning work. But these will not be fully realized until the very end. See, the thing that you and I have to realize is as we go back and read this passage, he healed people of various diseases. He heals Simon's mother-in-law. He, he cast out demons. But here's the thing that you and I must understand is that each and every one of those people that Jesus brought in, looked into their eyes and touched and healed, each and every one of them died. Their healing was not for eternity. Some might have accepted him and found themselves as disciples of Christ. Others might have rejected him, accepted his healing power, and you'll see that there are many that did. But they still died. You see, there's a healing that is greater than the physical healing or the casting out of demons. But all of it finds its authority and power in the fact that Jesus willingly obeyed the Father's plan and went to the cross. Christ bore both the guilt and the curse of sin. He was giving them a down payment, so to speak. You see, Christ has destroyed Satan's stronghold and power. You and I need to trust in Christ for healings and miracles. We must embrace his authority and kingdom. The apostle Peter would write in his first letter of Jesus that he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And by his wounds, you have been healed. There were some that found physical healing that day, maybe mental healing, maybe emotional healing, but they did not find spiritual healing. That's the healing that you and I desperately need in our friends and our families our co-workers, our loved ones, our neighbors. It says, by his wounds you will be healed, for you were strained like sheep, but you have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Like Simon Peter's mother-in-law, you and I need to show hospitality and gratitude for what Christ has done for us. We invite him in, and then we show our gratitude by serving the King of Kings. Now, as we come to the close of this message today, you're not going to find a great doctrine there. It's not hidden there. There's no great truth other than Jesus is the King, and He has authority over all things. 
But what we are paint, we, what we do see is that you and I are, again are painted a beautiful picture of Jesus and his ministry for us to behold. You heard me speak about that last week. Behold. To, to, to keep in our vision, to let the weight of it rest upon us. Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Redeemer, the Anointed One of God, takes the time to visit one of his followers. He is a busy man, everyone vying for his attention, but he knows that there is a divine appointment waiting for him at Peter's house. He kindly responds to their request to heal his mother-in-law, and then he patiently accepts each and every person that comes before him. With his loving hand and with the authority as the great physician, he touches each person, disregarding their economic and social standings, their ailments and conditions. He has mercy on each one and he lovingly heals them. No questions asked, no requests made, just release and comfort. That is our Savior. That's our Redeemer. In addition, he releases everyone that is oppressed and held captive by a demon. He does not allow them to interrupt his ministry, but consider this, many lives were changed that night. Bodies were made whole, spirits were refreshed, and families were reunited. Jesus gives us a glimpse of what the kingdom will be like in the new heaven and the new earth. And I bring your attention to that this morning. Do not let the cares of this world be so magnified in your mind's eye that you neglect the true reality of the new heaven and the new earth. For each day, each moment that you and I breathe, we are closer than we were the day before. This is Jesus. This is our Savior, the one who surrenders his rights to serve those whom God has appointed. I'm going to ask for every head to bow and worship team to come on up. I just want you to take a moment to pause, to consider, pray and respond to how God may be calling you to respond this morning. I think the simple one that I would ask is, do you see the kingdom of heaven and the new earth? Do you see that the things of this life are so small and dim compared to the glory of Christ. Focus your eyes on that. Pray for grace and faith that you may endure whatever it is. Cry out to God for healing. Maybe it's for your marriage. Maybe it's for emotional distress. Maybe there is some physical healing. Maybe it's just spiritual drudgery in your life. God is a God who heals and trust in his justice and his goodness. Father, thank you so much. I pray, Lord, that we would respond to what you've called us to. Lord, that you may be glorified. And I pray that we as a church would feel your healing power, that we would experience it. And Father, that we could come and give you glory and all the things that deserves, that you deserve. In your name we pray. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's message. We encourage you to share it with others. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at info at orangevilla.org. Be sure and join us for next week's message by subscribing to this podcast. 
To learn more about our ministry, submit prayer requests, or to find ways you can help hear the gospel, visit us online at orangevilla.org. Till next time, we hope the grace and peace of God's love be ever present in your life.